You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Kyle Poyar, the operating partner at OpenView. Because the barriers to using the product are relatively low, gets more people that land on your website to try out the product. Although conversion, especially near-term conversion, is lower than on free trials. Hi, Daniel. Hey, Thomas. And hey, you that's listening to us today. We, we are really excited because we have a great guest and we're going to learn a lot of things around PLG today. But before we go into the interview, we just want to mention again that we are closing in on Celsius Digital 2022 and it's going to be a great event. It is indeed going to be a great event. Like, you know, you've probably seen all the posts where we're introducing the speakers, the sessions and so on. But just go to sassydigital2022.com and you'll seal the agenda all for yourself. And you've probably seen us also pop up in your LinkedIn live feed. I hope you enjoyed it. And for the ones that got a, got a cap, Thomas, I hope you send the baseball hat to everybody, all the winners. Yeah, of course. Uh, do it directly after the, the draw. Uh, and also this time, it's a one-day event. It's on September 27th. And this time, we are doing four parallel tracks. So during some times of the day we are separating so we have a revenue track we have a product track we have a customer success track and we have a ceo founders track and it's going to be exciting and we can't wait to bring you all of this content and now we can't wait to get started Today we have a very special guest for you. We are really happy to welcome Kyle Poyer, the operating partner at OpenView, here as a guest in the SAS Nordic podcast. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's really great to have you here, Kyle. And uh, I know you're, you're a cool and modest guy, but I refer to you as uh, Mr. PLG. Is that cool? Can I call you that for the rest of the show? I, I think my colleague, Blake, <laughs> will feel a little <laughs> bit jealous. But, you know, for the purpose of this podcast, happy to go by any name. Uh, and actually, I want to do a shout out to two gentlemen in our network, Ula Sars from Soundtrack Your Brand and Magnus Hultman from Safechair. Uh, they're both uh, really big on the PLG track with, with the respective uh, SaaS companies. And they were like, you got to get Kyle on the show. So this is for you guys. Yeah, and now we got him. So we are really happy about that. But Kyle, for the ones that are not fanboys or fangirls yet, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm an operating partner at OpenView. OpenView is a venture firm investing in expansion stage software companies, uh, companies like Datadog, Calendly, Expensify, and Axonius. And in my role, I get to partner really closely with the leadership teams of our portfolio companies around all things revenue growth and go-to-market strategy. And uh, for folks who've been following along, maybe haven't followed along, uh, OpenView actually coined the term product-led growth back in 2016 which is the year that I joined. Uh-huh. And since then, uh, my colleagues and I have really been trying to build out a set of frameworks and best practices for how to PLGify a business right. and generate, hopefully, faster revenue growth. So was it your idea? Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> It was Blake's idea, my colleague Blake Bartlett. He, uh, so he's an investor at OpenView and he backed companies like Calendly and Expensify. And so he he was the one who was like, there's really something going on here. Uh, then Blake and I partnered together on actually translating that into a set of guides and materials for folks to 
put into practice. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about uh, the fund itself. Like how big is the fund? And for for the audience listening here, there, it's predominantly in Europe, obviously, and in the Nordics. Do you also invest in those regions? Yeah, great questions. Uh, so OpenView has uh, been investing out, out of our sixth fund so far. Uh, collectively, we have more than a billion dollars in assets under management. So relatively big, um, you know, but you know, small by you know certain US US VC standards. <laughs> and uh, we invest globally. So our main investment criteria are: uh, Has the company found product market fit? Are they really ready to scale? And is North America part of the, a key kind of a key market in their go-to-market strategy? And uh, so, with that in mind, we've invested in companies all over the world, uh, whether it's the U.S. in our home market, Canada, just north of us, or uh, all as far out as Israel, Australia, Europe, Brazil, uh, you name it. If it checks those boxes, mm-hmm. we're we're game. So, is there anything uh, that you're looking for particularly, I'm talking about verticals industry here, or as long as you're a PLG business that wants to, that has found product market fit and is going to the US, then you don't care if it's, you know, whatever the industry is. We're pretty industry agnostic. Uh, And if you look at our investments, we've done everything from developer tooling and infrastructure based businesses to horizontal applications to really specific vertical software companies. And even though we love product-led growth, we're not uh, purists about that. Many of our best investments uh, were not product-led companies when we invested, and some are you know, still not to this day. Uh, although increasingly, there's kind of a, a hybrid hybridization going on, right? right. Where <laughs> PLG companies add sales, uh, and you could look at Calendly as an example of that. And then enterprise-focused companies start thinking about how do we add a PLG motion? So there's an increasing blurring uh, between the two. Uh, it, to me, the key, key criteria we look for are, uh, it, are there signs of, of that product market fit, right? So if we talk to customers, are, is the product solving a real pain point for them? Uh, do they want to expand their relationship going forward? Is it a consistent value proposition mm-hmm. when we talk to folks? Uh, is there some emerging kind of fast growth signals in that business? And that could be on the revenue side, but it could also be based on product usage information too. Uh, and then we start to think about questions like, is there a defensible competitive advantage or kind of a secret sauce of this business that's going to be hard for another company to come in and replicate? And then there's you know classic questions, right, of uh, do we think the market size is big enough to support you know, a large and enduring business? Right. Uh, are, are we going to be the right partner for this kind of founder and company based on what they need to be successful? Uh, and, uh, you know, a laundry list of things that are kind of specific to each particular investment. Makes sense. All right. So how would you define product-led growth from your perspective? Well, the textbook definition <laughs> that we wrote. <laughs> we'll, we'll do the textbook definition and then we do your definition. Well, that's the same thing because we wrote the textbook definition. <laughs> there, there you go. Touche. So we, we think of it pretty simply, right, as uh, with a product drives uh, customer acquisition, uh, retention, and expansion. And so you can think of that pretty broadly, actually, right? So it's uh, it's a dimmer switch rather than an on-off switch. Just about any company can think about product as a growth driver in solving certain friction points in the way they acquire, convert, and expand their customers. Uh, and you can think about things that might be really people-intensive, highly manual, slow, or just delivering a bad customer experience. And think about 
how can we productize um, these areas to drive a better customer experience and better results, right, for everyone? But then if I want to get more specific or like tangible for folks, uh, we did a lot of thinking this year around the characteristics of this kind of best-in-class product-led growth company. And we did that by studying, you know, really what has led to standout results, both among private companies and the public market. And when we think about those, it's characteristics like they solve a really clear end user pain point, right? So they're reaching that end user rather than just the executive buyer. Uh, and they solve that pain point really quickly. So they have very fast time to value for their customers. And that's you know going to be different for every industry. Some products just have more uh, complexity, harder onboarding. But it's, so it's always relative to what the market expects, what your customers expect. Mm. And we look at things about like, are you able to meet your users in their context and kind of build to be discovered by end users? And then there's also things that are more kind of bleeding edge that are uh, we see the best up and coming companies doing, but are still not mainstream yet. So things like, is there a community led growth strategy where there's really a, a robust community around the product? Or is this company uh, offering uh, a really great amount of value before the paywall? So they deliver value before they capture value or even uh, kind of extra bleeding edge. Do they monetize on the basis of usage? Right. Right. Uh, which is kind of the ultimate product led growth, because literally as people use the product more, they pay you more. Uh, but uh, you don't have to adopt all. We came, we came with 11 characteristics in total. You don't have to adopt all of them to be PLG. Like it, literally just one means you're starting to PLGify your business. But we think about best in class as having you know more than seven of these characteristics. Right. And actually, you're going to walk us through these 11 at uh, Sassiest Digital. So if, if people want to hear those out, they, they should join the show on September 27th, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but we're going to dive down a little bit in some other areas today. But before, I mean, now we got the correct definition of product-led growth right from the source. So what are common misconceptions out there when it comes to what PLG is? Yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> How much time do you have? I think the first one is that there's this misconception that like, there are PLG companies and they're not PLG companies. And it's like a really binary thing. And it's almost like, well, if we want to be PLG, that means we have no salespeople and all revenue is, is you know, self-serve. People just put a credit card down and pay, uh, right? That's really not the reality. And uh, it, 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 I think that's a misconception, hopefully, that uh, we've kind of corrected at this point, but it still pops up time again. Right. Another thing is that a lot of folks think, hey, I'm selling into the enterprise. Enterprises won't adopt a PLG product. Uh, they have too much you know, security requirements, too much compliance issues. They uh, don't give employees permission to you know, use apps that aren't sanctioned, right? Um, or, or that PLG won't work in industry X or in security products. And I think every time we hear another example of like PLG won't work for this, there's a counter argument of a company that's disrupting the status quo and really uh, winning over the market because they've taken a different approach. Um, and I think that's also a fascinating thing about technology in general is that uh, the next generation of winners are going to win not by repeating what people have done in the past, but by coming up with something new. All right. So you mentioned before um, 
you know, how to prove value uh, of your product in a product-led growth strategy. So we wanted to dive down in that a little bit. And in what different ways can you prove value? And when should you cap the value and start, you know, converting this into a paying customer? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a great question. And the, the first thing I would uh, advocate for folks is to have a clear definition of when you know that a user has seen value in your product. We normally call that an activation moment. Uh, and that's generally, it's not a super high bar. It's not like they've you know been working on in this product for three, four, five months. Normally someone can reach activation in their first day or first week after signing up. So give us an example from Calendly, for example, that I know you guys have worked closely with. Like, what do you consider the activation there? Yeah, so at an example like Calendly, you're thinking about, hey, has this person scheduled X number of meetings through Calendly, mm -hmm. right? Which might seem like a no-brainer, but there's actually real work to do that. So you have to set up your calendar, right? Uh, you have to like give cal Calendly permission. Uh, you have to figure out what type of meeting you want to schedule. Is it a 30-minute meeting, 15-minute meeting? Is it a group meeting, a one-on-one? -on -one? Uh, you have to then actually uh, send your Calendly to someone else. And might even have to like deal with the power dynamics. I don't know how much you follow Twitter, but the uh, the power dynamics of like, will this person accept my Calendly link or not? Uh, which I think is just so so silly. But anyway, uh, and then that person actually has to follow up and schedule that time. So there's actually it's a relatively simple, straightforward thing. But there's a lot that you have to get right to prove that value to get the user to their aha moment. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm almost getting emotional when we talk about Calendly because we love the product so much. It you know it helps us so much in our daily lives. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. Same here. Well, so you have to have that definition of value, right? And uh, then uh, to me, you have to be able to deliver on that uh, generally before charging yeah. <laughs> for it, right? So. Uh, deliver value before the paywall is pretty core at PLG companies. Then there's a lot of different ways of doing that. You could go with a free trial. Uh, you could go with a freemium product. You could blur the two with you know the reverse trial that's increasingly popular. Or you, you also see companies with the ungated products. Just for the people that might not know what a reverse trial is, walk us through it. Uh, a reverse trial is when uh, someone starts off with a premium version of the product they have a time-limited window, often 14 days, when they could take advantage of that premium version. And at the end, they get downgraded to a fully free version. Right. And so uh, the reason it's a reverse trial is because that, like, they're starting with the trial and downgrading rather than opting into the trial from a free version. Right. Uh, and so the things that I think about, though, are, so you have to be able to give people enough time to see real value and make the product kind of sticky in their workflow and deliver value in the way that your customers are trying to experience it. Uh, I also tend to find you have to offer a product experience that puts your best foot forward with your target customer. So if you're trying to reach a you know, mid-market to enterprise type of persona that is relatively sophisticated in what they need, but you've cut the free product experience like to the bone so that it, you, know, uh, you can drive more and more conversion from free to paid, you're actually not going to deliver enough value for that customer that you want to attract. Right. And so uh, the counterintuitive learning from my end is that one of the biggest challenges with free products out there is that folks are just not generous, generous enough with their free product experiences to get people to their, to their um, activation or aha moment. Yep. 
And so to me, that's where also the reverse trial is such a great thing and why I see more and more SaaS companies offering it because you're able to let folks try out these pro features, these great things that they might even not have even known they could do or were possible with your product. But once they've experienced them, they really don't want to give those up. And so yeah. it's like fascinating in behavioral psychology, this concept of like loss aversion and folks uh, value things that they've had and are taken away from them way more than things that they've never had in the first place. Yeah. Right. It's like, why every clothing store tries to get you to try on a pair of jeans exactly. <laughs> while you're in the store. It's like you try them on, you look good, you're, you're going to buy them. Yeah. Uh, and so to me, that, that that's an increasingly popular way of demonstrating real value, driving conversion, and then having that compelling event when folks know now's the time when I've got to upgrade because my trial has expired and I want to keep using these great features. Right. Yeah, and what I see Slack doing <laughs> is that they you know, are giving you well, now you have the pro version for 30 days and they do that continuously. And then I continue on the free version and then four months later, they give me 30 days of pro version and so on. <laughs> well, it does give you, with the reverse trial, it gives you multiple bites at the apple, right? So yeah. you've got, uh, there's often pretty high conversion in that 14 day period upon the initial expiration. And then you usually can have other ways of converting that user. But if you, uh, if in a traditional trial, at the end of those 14 days, if that person hasn't converted, you've like lost them forever. Right. You know, they, they lose their data. They can't really do anything else in the product. But if you have this product that, you know, people can keep using it for free, you can either like spin up additional trials or start to experiment with usage-based paywalls or start to layer in, you know, product-led sales uh, methodologies. But you have additional ways of a, a kind of re-engaging and converting that user that you weren't able to convert the first time. Right. So I think it's a great way of driving that, especially for viral products, uh, driving the viral loop, getting that engagement, and actually increasing overall conversion. So really interesting. So in your eyes, from your perspective, based on what you've seen, or any of these models that you mentioned here, whether it's free or premiums or the reverse trials and so on, is there any one that suits a particular type of business better? Yeah, I mean, great question. It's, uh, to me, the, the model has to really fit with how people experience value for your product, how your product's architected. And so there is some experimentation that goes into it and really understanding the unique um, growth loops of, of your product. I think considerations that I, I think about is like, how long does it take for folks to experience value? If it takes more than, you know, 14 days or more than a month, then that really time-limited free trial is probably not going to be so great right? Uh, because people aren't going to be able to do enough with it for it to be valuable for you. And that's where models like freemium or reverse trials at least give more give that user more time. Right. There's there's so so much that goes into it, but like your specific objectives as a business, right? So some companies are really orienting towards acquisition and they want to acquire as many users as they can and they're not as focused on immediate monetization. Right. So what we see with freemium companies is that because the barriers to using the product are relatively low, it gets more people that land on your website to try out the product. Although conversion, especially near-term conversion, is lower than on free trials. And so if you're focused more on acquisition, then you're probably willing to sacrifice some of that immediate revenue for your long-term strategy. But if you need revenue now and in this market, in this fundraising environment, that's increasingly important for a lot of folks. 
you might say, hey, actually, uh, we do want to prioritize near-term conversion. And that short-term trial means that we're not supporting free users for a long period of time. Folks kind of convert in that faster window. And there's also going to maybe be fewer signups, which means we can add more human resources to the conversion process uh, during that kind of trial window that you just couldn't do with the volume of users in a freemium business. And so the the objectives of the company and where they are in their life cycle, I think, play an important role. Kyle, I think that's really fascinating, interesting. So I have to ask you then, have you seen that the companies that are uh, sacrifice uh, the quick conversion uh, are also using the method to have you know a lot of people circling in the system, trying it out, to build a momentum, to learn, to, to use this big volume of users as a way of an input into their product team and product develop to, to fine tune and, and evolve and develop? Or is this just in my imagination? It, it's, a, it's a great point. You need, I think one of the things with product-led growth is it is such a data-driven exercise. Like you're constantly working on improving that user experience, that time to value, the onboarding process. And you need enough users kind of going through the the, uh, the funnel to be able to run those experiments, get confidence quickly of whether it worked or didn't work, and then either double down or try something else. And uh, I think freemium businesses, especially if you're able to attract more of those users, you can generate more of those learnings and generate them faster. And I think it's fascinating to see, I don't know if you've you follow different job postings, uh, like, you know, you nerd out about software like I do, but uh, I have a tracker for uh, every so often I see, hey, how many jobs actually explicitly look for PLG skills? And like, what are the kinds of PLG roles? Who are they reporting to? What kinds of experiences are folks looking for? Right. And you, you start to notice that even companies like Slack that have an amazing experience, super fast time to value, have millions of users, they have dedicated teams that just work on user onboarding and user activation. And a big part of that is the experimentation around it. So it's just, it's never done. Right. Uh, and, uh, and the more data points you have, the more you can kind of outcompete your competitors. Mm. All right. So we talked about some different models. I'm not sure if we covered this with the, the ungated one, when you get access without signing up or identifying yourself. So could you tell us about that option? Yeah, that's been a fascinating one. And we're certainly still in the early innings there. And so with ungated products, I guess just to take a step back, as we think about product-led growth, a lot of it is reducing friction and leading with the product, delivering value to that user, and then kind of earning the permission to go deeper with them. And if you take that to its potentially natural conclusion, that means like, hey, even the idea of putting in a work email or writing in a phone number, creating an account before you can access a product, that's actually creating friction for that user. Right. And it might especially create fr- friction for uh, them sharing the product with their team. Because if, if it's a team-based product, they might even need everyone on the team to create the, their own account, right? Yeah. And so we're starting to see some companies experiment with ungated products where you can just start using the product from the homepage. Yeah. Uh, you can even share it with other people and Eraser, the virtual whiteboard is a great example of this. Uh, you can start sharing with other people and then you actually create an account when you're ready to save your progress, mm-hmm. which is a really fascinating thing. And for certain products, they're actually able to see that while signup volume does go down a bit, right? Because that's not the first thing you're asking the user to do. 
anyone that does sign up is extremely highly qualified and they've really seen value, so much value that they've decided to save their progress. And that overall, you're able to get more people to experience your product and, and, and get that value. And so to me, if you have a ton of conviction in your product and it has a fast time to value, that's an interesting experiment to kind of run with. Yeah. And on the flip side, if, if, um, if you're thinking about actually dipping your toe into PLG, but you don't have a product that's fully baked for a self-serve onboarding experience, folks are starting to have ungated product experiences, but through third parties. Mm-hmm. So through tools like Nevatic, or there's actually a bunch of these vendors out there where your users can have an interactive demo environment to see kind of how your product actually operates, uh, but without having to do all the data setup on their, their end. And so I think that's actually a great way to PLGify a business or sort of take steps to PLG before you're ready to go all the way in. So then is that option just a simulation that you're not working in the actual software, but it feels and looks like the actual software? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I see. So I've been experienced actually a service that is ungated that I started to, to use and actually also subscribe to. It's a video editor called Flixier that is really advanced online video editor, cloud-based. And you can go in, you can do your with video editing. You have access to all functionality. You can even save it. Um, but if you want to export it and get the actual video, you need to put in your email to get it sent to you and it will have the watermark. So you will still get, you know, a product, but you have identified yourself. And then if you want to remove the watermark, and I guess if you want even more features, you you have to sign up or so. I think it's yeah volume based, you know, the, the amount of video you can do and so on. It, it's amazing. Thomas this is the first time I hear this. Like I've never heard this before. That That's the, that's why your link, uh, your TikTok game is fierce. <laughs> I mean, you asked me a while ago uh, what, what it says on the, the statement on, on the back account. What is this Flixier? And uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I did a yearly subscription. So G- good for you. A great, great success story. Yeah, but you can get access also, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, I have another question. It, it's a thought that I've been uh, having for, for a long time, and I don't know the answer. I, I hope you have it for us. Can you have a PLG motion without transparent pricing? Mm. Yes, but going back to my... you, I don't think you're going to be the like most mature PLG company that checks you know, all the boxes of those 11 characteristics. Uh, but like I said before, PLG is a dimmer switch. It's not an on and off switch. And there's a lot of things that you can do to build PLG capabilities before you're ready to go all the way down, down the road. And so I- examples that come to mind, um, or, you know, one example in the OpenView portfolio is that uh, we have a portfolio company called HighSpot that's in the sales enablement space. And they sell to mid to large size companies. There's, it's a complicated onboarding process and there's you know really um a, a differentiator for that for the company's actually the customer experience that they put into that that onboarding uh but they still have a plg avenues right and so one one uh, one of those examples is that uh folks who are partnering with sales acceleration companies like sandler or challenger uh that get trained up by, by a Sandler and have a lot of materials that they are trying to reinforce with their sales team, they could get immediate access to that training material saved within a high spot instance, right? And so you can think of that as really fast time to value, being able to work with partners plus a product-led growth strategy 
uh, via a marketplace, maybe even reach more folks uh, to you know get them to even understand the value prop of the kind of product category. And that's that's a product led uh, strategy to me, uh, or it's a product led at least tactic, uh, but not in a business that is fully you know self serve, fully PLG. And I think there's a lot more examples like that. So even at HubSpot, before they offered self-service um, anything, self-service purchasing, self-service onboarding, they had their website grader where you could just put in the URL of your website and they gave you a bunch of feedback on how you're doing in terms of performance, uh, SEO, security, and so on. Mm-hmm. And then the natural next step would be, hey, well, you want to improve these things. You want to improve your score. HubSpot has capabilities to help you do that. That doesn't require having transparent pricing, right? Uh, that's just a uh, that's just an acquisition play that also nurtures folks through the funnel, right? But to me, that's a product-led strategy. All right. So, what trends do you see moving forward here within this area? Well, one is there's a lot of interest in investing in PLG, and so even even when we think about uh, funding environments being challenging, folks. Uh, I don't think layoffs are the norm yet, but certainly hiring slowdowns or hiring freezes are are more common than they than they used to be. Uh, but everyone's trying to think about how to do more with less, and so product led growth um, is a great way to do that. And so we're seeing a lot of interest from companies in how to add PLG elements to their business, uh, so that they're not slowing down growth, even if they've slowed slowed down their their hiring plans, and. As more companies adopt product-led growth, the challenge is actually how do you make it a differentiator for you, right? So it used to be a differentiator if like your competitors were legacy sales-led companies that never let you like experience what pricing looks like, never let you sign up and try the product for yourself. And if you were the first one to do that, you were the first PLG operator in your space. And that was like an inherent differentiator. And it was inherently really hard for those competitors to reproduce because that was so counter to the way they operated before. But now if all the core players have that PLG element, like how do you continue to raise the bar and stand out in that market? And I think that's what's fascinating for me is is thinking about uh, the PLG relative to the other players in your space. And to me, it's forcing folks to really up their game. Okay. A good SaaS company can grow to $10 million in ARR and exit to an M&A consolidator. But a great, enduring SaaS company can grow to hundreds of millions of dollars of ARR and become really iconic. The difference between a good company and a great one is often in perfecting their go-to-market fit. But how do you do that? Access our new go-to-market fit toolkit at gtmf.ox.vc to find out the common denominators for perfecting your go-to-market fit and much more. How about this? I saw you the other day, you posted on uh, LinkedIn something uh, along the lines that uh, is free here to stay or not because you noticed that some of the PLG companies or some of the PLG offerings had been uh, uh, minimized or uh, I think you had an example where where Google uh, meets had a cap now after 60 minutes, you can't run the call anymore, something like that. So they're shrinking the value they're they're giving you is that a trend or is there a reason why they do it now so there's yeah there's a few notable examples that have kind of like happened that around the same time so google was more generous with google meet um in opening up limits 
during the COVID pandemic, but they've now recently kind of gone back to enforcing those. Heroku has actually announced that they're killing all of their free plans. Slack made some changes that, you know, some people see it as, as making them worse off, although actually, fascinatingly, other people see it as more generous than before. And so that led me to think about, like, as people are trying to, you know, have a path towards profitability, have we shifted this pendulum to, like, let's just focus on growth and growth at all costs to, hey, we've got to actually generate revenue now and, and get to profitability. And some of these free products can get, you know, potentially sidelined or killed in favor of that near-term revenue gain that you can get. So that's where, as I thought about it, I think that there's there's a, a few companies doing that at the margins. Uh, but realistically, I don't see that as a trend, at least not yet. <laughs> it's just something to watch out for. You're not the, uh, the brain behind it. You're not pushing companies to go that I, route. I am not. No, I, I will say every com- uh, pricing is something that is like historically under-tested. Uh, and so a lot of companies have pricing that is no longer really working for them. And they, they might have plans or pa- like packages that they offer that aren't playing a meaningful role in the revenue generation. And you should rethink it. You should figure out a model that's going to be better for your business. Um, you should be willing to experiment. And so I absolutely believe that uh, there's not one right answer for every company and that this is something that people should really think about. And like, the average SaaS company does not have any FTEs who do pricing, uh, let alone who you know test changes to from free to paid plans. And so certainly, like spend time investigating it. But I'm not advising companies to go too far down the path of uh, gating their free products. And the reason why is because my my worry, my fear with it is that what happens is sales goes. We need to hit our revenue number. The free product is too generous, so it's hard for us to convert folks from free to paid. Our like free plan is competing against our paid plan. Let's add limits. Let's make this worse so that we can upsell them. Or we could charge a ton up for this feature if we sell it to an enterprise. So why are we giving it away for free? Right. And there's no one inside the organization that's the advocate for free. There's no VP of free, VP of freemium that is advocating for kind of the strategic role it plays. And those changes that you make you know, death by a thousand cuts of free actually do help immediate term conversion uh, and generate some some near-term revenue. But the risk is that you lose that groundswell of free users who are engaging that are your the lifeblood of your of the long-term value of your business. Exactly. And so the risk is that yeah, you have a great quarter or two. Uh, but that's not a that's not a sustainable model, and that's what I'm trying to just advocate for folks to be be mindful of. Okay, but who in the organization is what what you call the the VP of free? Who's the evangelist for PLG within the company in general? Well, it normally starts at the top. Uh, the founder CEO uh, tends to be uh, driving that as part of the business strategy for the company. They might be the original kind of architect around the PLG motion. And other than the founder, you do look then for the product leader. Uh, and the product leader, I think it, that's where a lot of the product-led growth, like mindset, the uh, folks that are closest to the product data, um, like I think that, that's where a lot of the PLG DNA lives. But a lot of product leaders uh, haven't been kind of classically trained around PLG. And they've been trained around how, like product vision and how to build a roadmap, how to listen to customer feedback and build more features. 
And a lot of times at BLG, it's like actually stripping down the product experience to deliver value really quickly, which is just so different from uh, enterprise product management. So sometimes it's those product leaders. And then otherwise, we are seeing the rise of this kind of VP of growth, head of growth role. And that growth role might report to the head of product or might just directly report to the CEO. And they're folks that are responsible for understanding that full customer journey and how uh, really that journey should look from landing on the website, signing up, experiencing value, uh, retaining, converting, not converting, and so on. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, that that person um, ends up having a really great voice because they can. Uh, they normally don't have the biggest team, but they have a really strategic view of the business, and then they work collaboratively to kind of transfer those learnings and the experiments they run uh, to the different teams. Where does sales live in all of this? And you know whether it's a trend or not, but I, I think we're starting to see that PLG and sales, like product-led sales, is, is starting to emerge. What's your take on that? Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of product-led sales. Uh, yeah, and to me, it's the, the way I think about it is, uh, for most PLG businesses, the self-serve revenue engine uh, gets them from zero to X million ARR really efficiently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they think about continuing that next phase of growth, often that comes from taking these uh, folks that maybe started as an individual user, started for free, maybe they converted as a paid user or paid team, but then you start to want to take those folks that are loving your product, but experience, but using them in a kind of a small sense in their company. And you want to think about how do you deepen this relationship to you know generate much bigger deal sizes, more stickiness, um, and so on. And that normally happens, it actually starts to happen by your customers pulling you <laughs> to like, they start asking your support team, hey, could you fill out the security questionnaire? Or hey, we've got to like, can you talk to procurement? And support is not set up for that kind of like proactive sales experience. And so I think a lot of folks have have realized that there's a big opportunity uh, in terms of the the revenue and how much of future growth can come from taking these uh, product led groundswell and turning it into real revenue, real dollars. But then there's also actually a bad customer experience if they don't offer it. So these enterprises, if you don't have a you know product led sales motion or a sales assist motion, they're going to convert at lower rates. They're going to have a bad experience. They're not going to think the product speaks for them. You're also not going to be able to understand the requirements and how to build better products for these larger customers that you know allow you to grow into new markets over time. And so to me, sales plays a really big role. It's just that sales looks different because folks are often starting with that product interaction. They're not starting with the demo right away. Uh, and you want to use data to inform the sales motion. And you now have a lot more data at your disposal. And the other thing that, that I think happens is that PLG is often about the user and getting value for that user. Sales is more and more about that buyer and how do you reach the decision maker who's going to sign off on the purchase. And so you also have to kind of figure out the story for how do you reach that decision maker in the account how do you work with users to do that or even go top down in an account if you need to? How do you craft the right message and ROI story that's different? So there's actually a lot of work that goes into it. And I think that's a, that can be really exciting for a forward thinking sales leader because if I'm you know in, the, in their shoes, I'm going, there's so much opportunity here. 
but we just need to build the foundations in order to do it because it's a totally new function in these companies. Yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I think we're seeing it happening, but it's like you said, well, you didn't say it, but I say it. A lot of companies are not yet mastering how to merge these two worlds. So it's going to be interesting to follow the evolution, how that's going to take place. Absolutely. And it's not something where you just can throw in a typical, you know, enterprise seller and tell them to go to this model. I mean, I've seen seen that happen where the enterprise sales team actually doesn't ever even reach out to free users or like free trial folks because they, they just set, you know, build out an outbound SDR, BDR team that feeds the sales team. Right. And it's like they kind of build something that's off on an island as opposed to really like leaning into what's worked around PLG. And I think there's also a, a case to me for starting probably slower, like instead of hiring 20 reps all at once, like start with a handful like really build out the right customer journey and the right uh, touch points, the right uh, kind of reporting and dashboards, and also make sure you have the product experience that you can deliver for that for this customer and onboard them into. And then once you feel like you found repeatability with that initial test, then doubling down. Yeah, and I, I think another point that is really key in getting this right, and I can say this because I've, I've been a sales leader for, for many, many years, it is getting the compensation levels right. Because I can see how some sellers feel like, you know, I have this quota to hit here. My bonus is linked to it. I'm not going to spend time on this Joe Schmo here, freemium, maybe, maybe not. It's going to take me forever. So I'm going to spend time over there. So I think it's finding the right compensation model to incentivize the folks to actually pick it up and do something with it. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, and I think it's funny because there's that behavior that can happen. And then the other behavior I see happening is folks say, hey, I actually, I had a meeting with this person, right? You know, we had meaningful interactions, but then they decided to buy via self-serve. Um, and maybe they started off on a small dollar size. Yeah. But that almost creates friction because like, am I getting comped on that? It didn't, you know, it wasn't an enterprise contract, right. but I put meaningful work into it. And it has a lot of potential to grow into that enterprise contract in the future. And so you don't want to create these mis misalignments where that scene is like a bad outcome. Mm. You really want to have the customer journey um, for kind of front and center and uh, build a kind of sales motion around how your customers want to buy. All right. So uh, we're going to try to start tying the knot here. So a few, few uh, like quick ones. Is PLG for every company or is the cases where... This doesn't uh, make sense. There are PLG strategies for every company. Okay, thank you. All right. Uh, <laughs> is there any particular mistakes that you see um, companies are doing there when they start with PLG? Uh, don't go all in all at once. Uh, that's the biggest mistake that happens is people jump right into, we're going to launch a freemium product, self-serve purchasing. There's a ton of product work that has to go into that. Um, and it starts to create a lot of, you know, cannibalization and fear among the sales team. And so all of a sudden PLG is sort of a, an enemy or an outsider in an existing business. I'd rather understand what are the current friction points, start building PLG to kind of solve for those friction points and improve the existing KPIs that you care about, and then kind of earn permission to go deeper down into PLG over time. Okay, thank you. 
you have had a great ride here with OpenView and, and you know inventing this PLG stuff and everything. But yeah, what's ahead of for you? Well, the the biggest thing I'm focused on right now is to me we're in the early innings in both software and in PLG, and so I'm really excited about what the future holds. Uh, and I think that the the fascinating thing that I, I spend a lot of my time thinking about is how do we PLGify the investing process, mm-hmm. right? So that people can try before they buy, but a VC, right? So how do we actually take some of these principles and apply it to our own our own business, uh, and you know hopefully build something that's you know kind of unique and differentiated in the market and and actually appeals to to founders. I've never thought of it, Thomas, but listening to Kyle here, I, I think we've PLGified, if, if that was the word, our little operation here as well. Like people can access a lot of gold and content for free in our community and then uh, hopefully they buy a ticket for the event. I don't know if, yeah, does that qualify or what is okay? Product-led acquisition. Product-led acquisition. There you go. Yeah, but, but but it's community-led growth for sure, and uh, yeah, and I mean that's that's in the, the neighborhood at least. Uh, is there anything particular, Kyle, that you're looking for right now? That I'm looking for. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I think first off is that always trying to stay on top of uh, you know what's new and fascinating in PLG. And so, for folks that are listening, if you're if you're trying PLG in an industry that's never seen it or market where it's new or you're really pushing the envelope, like we'd love to hear about what you're doing and, and maybe feature what you're doing on whether it's the OpenView blog or my newsletter, Growth Unhinged. Uh, and uh, I think otherwise, I, I guess for me, I, I'm just like a very intellectually, intellectually curious person. And so I, uh, I just, the, the, the thing that makes me most fulfilled is to, uh, learn something that I never thought about in the first place and like open up my mind. And so I I am kind of curious to get feedback from, from both you guys and then the broader SaaS Nordic community around some of those things that, you know, I've got blinders on too. Thanks. Yeah, it's amazing to have you. And and if someone wants to reach out to you, what is the best way to do that? Uh, best way is probably through LinkedIn. Uh, I post content regularly and, and engage really closely with that community on LinkedIn. And so uh, I'd say connect with me on LinkedIn and then subscribe to my newsletter, Growth Unhinged, and uh, look forward to, to meeting folks. Yeah, you'll accept any connection request from a SAS Nordic community member, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Love it. Uh, awesome. This has been very, very inspiring. So we always ask every guest, like, who, who inspires you? Like, who do you want to see on the show here? Who inspires me? That is a great question. Uh, well, to me, what the companies that actually inspire me and the people that inspire me are some are uh, the B two C businesses because they really invented PLG, and I think a lot of a lot of us in B two B are just taking things that like the consumer world has known about for forever, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then like finally taking that to business software. Late bloomers. Uh, so companies like. Grammarly or Canva and kind of some of these like B2C, B2B companies, um, or even when you think about like going further companies in the mobile gaming space, I think there's so much to learn from uh, their product principles, their testing programs, their ability to kind of drive data-driven practices across the organization. So that's that's what I'm always excited about. So Kyle, why don't you make a shout out to a person that you'd like to see on the show? 
uh, a person, well, you should get Melanie from Canva on. Yeah, that would be amazing. Use Canva every day. So it's a lifesaver. Melanie, we're coming for you. <laughs> All right. But, but again, Kyle, thank you for being with us and looking forward to have you on the stage at Celsius Digital 2022 as well. Thanks, guys. Excited for it. Thank you. Take care now. All right. So, Daniel, can you pick any takeaways from this? I, I mean, must be a lot spinning around in your mind now. I mean, I, my mind is expanded. I, I don't know if you can you see that through the screen here, but like I literally feel like smarter, a uh, <laughs> little bit confused, but smarter for sure. <laughs> uh, it, it was really great speaking to Kyle. And I mean, if I had to say a, a few things here, what I take away with me is like, you know, I like the way he positioned it. You know, there's one thing about here's the definition of PLG and here are the different models and so on. But I liked how he looked at it from an internal perspective as well. You need to have somebody own it. And most SaaS companies don't have a full-time employee that owns the PLG motion. Do you have a VP of free? <laughs> VP of free. Exactly. So I, I thought that was that was so key. Like with any other project or with any other big strategic motion, you need to have somebody own it. And I, I thought that was really interesting. And I have a bunch of few more takeaways, but I'm not going to steal them from you. So l let me hear yours. No, I mean, it was interesting to hear and describe the, the different models since you can sort of relate to your own experiences of, of different uh, things, right? You, you know when you try a product and after 14 days you can't use it anymore because the free trial is out, right? And right. for my sake, I don't think that's a very good experience. And sometimes, you know, you, you have a very limited functionality when you try it. So I really like the reverse uh, trial where you get access to all functionality for I mean, a decent amount of time, and then it falls back to, to sort of standard or basic functionality. So that's what I appreciate. But, but I also think this ungated version is quite a nice one when, when you can get your hands on the product without having to, you know, give your email address or your credit card and so on in the beginning. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to follow. And at the same time, he, he did say, like, you know, models aside, you need to know what's important for your business. Like, but what is what is the business objective? Is it to you know quickly quickly convert, or is it to build that long tail pipe, or whatever it is? Like, so you have to figure out where your business is headed and what's important for the business, and then adjust the models to that to a certain extent. Yeah, and then another you know thought. I can't wait to hear the eleven bullets he has uh, around <laughs> being a PLG company and uh, the maturity of where you are with that. So really looking forward to his session. It's in the afternoon, uh, European time at Celsius Digital 2022. I hope you will be there. You won't regret it. I hope we see you all there. Absolutely. And if you enjoy the podcast, we would appreciate if you go into Apple Podcast or Spotify and give us a five-star review. That is a lot appreciated. And if you have any idea of what topic you want us to cover or anyone that you think should be on the show, please reach out. You can reach us at contact at setnordic.com. You can also ping us on LinkedIn and so on. And uh, yeah, we are always here for you. And thank you for listening.